The Winding Stairs Freemasonry Podcast is made possible in part by our exclusive group of supporters. For access to behind-the-scenes footage, bonus content, and more, visit thewindingstairs.com slash support. You have arrived at The Winding Stairs, a program dedicated to Masonic education and the practical side of Freemasonry. I am your host, Juan Sepulveda, professional artist and master mason. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Winding Stairs. Juan Sepulveda here. Thank you for taking the time to join me. Uh, today I have a, a special episode that I have unearthed from the vaults of the winding stairs. Now, if you look at the history of the episodes that I've published, uh, there was a moment that I was having almost like a hiatus. I took a long time off recording episodes for the winding stairs, and I was only recording episodes for the Masonic Roundtable. Well, in that period of time, I was having incredible amounts of audio trouble. My microphones had a lot of noise. I tried many different alternatives. Anyway, I don't even want to think about that time anymore. But in this period of time, I had a conversation with Brother Jack Aquilina, uh, an Australian brother who has been making a significant difference in masonry in Victoria. It was a very good conversation, but the audio was all over the place. And it took me a long time to clean up. And you can still hear some hints of trouble. I beg that you ignore them and enjoy the content of the conversation because uh, we reveal several things that are very distinctive about Freemasonry in uh, Australia in, in contrast with uh, here in the United States. So I hope that you find this conversation edifying and that you enjoy it. Without further ado, here's Brother Jack Aquilina on The Winding Stairs. Today, we have a special guest with us. We have Brother Jack Aquilina, who is the host of the Brought to Light Masonic podcast. Once you hear, once you hear his voice, you'll recognize him, I'm sure. Um, he is right now 37 or 38 episodes in, and we're joining each one uh, of them because they are they're in-depth conversations about many aspects of Freemasonry around the world, but more especially in Australia, which is... Uh, it makes this podcast the the leading podcast of Masonic nature in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Brother Jack right now is starting the cold season, <laughs> right? Uh, Brother Jack, thank you so much for joining me on The Winding Stairs. Uh, Brother Juan, what can I say? It's an absolute honor to be on your show. The, one of the fathers of Masonic podcasts, I have to say. And uh, thank you for inviting me along. It's such such a such a great honor. I'm so excited for the discussion we're about to have. You're, you're too kind. Thank you so much. Uh, we had a very good conversation uh, back in January on, on your podcast. And we discussed uh, racial relations in, in Freemasonry, which is something that is uh, of significant contrast here in the United States in comparison to, uh, mm. to your side of the world. We talked for maybe about an hour or so. It was a lot of fun. And I thank you for having me on your show. 
No, absolute honour. And it was one of the best episodes I think we've had. Um, it really fed into the subsequent conversation I had with John uh, Hairston about uh, race relations in terms of uh, Prince Hall Lodges. So thank you so much for being on the show. I was tickled pink. You know, it's one of those things, one, when you hear a celebrity's voice that you're speaking to and they're talking back to you, you get really scared because you're like, I'm used to listening to that person. And when they're talking back to you, it gets a bit um, you know, mind-blowing. So thank you for being on my show. It's a, It was an honour. Absolutely. You said celebrity, but we're <laughs> brothers. It's uh, <laughs> brother I, celebrity yeah. for sure. And uh, I, I really appreciate that you're putting together a quality production. Well, thank you so much, Juan. Now, you've come a long way from the very first steps that you had in your Masonic journey, and I would like for I would like to hear a little bit about how did you get started in masonry? Is this something that is part of your family? Uh, are you like the first generation in your family to be a Mason. Let us know a little bit more about how you got started as a Mason. Yeah, that's a very good question. And uh, to the surprise of some people, they might be surprised to hear that it actually has, my family has no connection to Freemasonry. I actually joined by accident. And I, I have the joke that it's the best accident or best mistake I've ever made. You know, it's it's been a fantastic journey. And basically what happened was a friend of mine uh, put me down as a character reference. He was joining a lodge uh, and usually they send out letters, but for some reason this secretary decided to call me and ask me questions about this guy. And just the nature of the questions I was getting asked, I thought, this is strange. And I said to my friend, I said, what are you joining? He said, oh, don't worry about it. It's just this thing, um, you know, probably worried I was going to judge him. And I said, give me a name, give me a name. What is it? He said, Freemason. So that's how it started. I went down the rabbit hole and I've been tumbling like Alice was uh, ever since. So it's been, been a great experience. The best mistake I've ever made. Look at that. Uh, and did you know much about Freemasonry before that conversation? Nothing. And see, this is the thing. Uh, a lot of people say they grew up knowing what the square encompasses was and what it represents and even what it looks like. I've never seen it. Honestly, uh, I live about five minutes from a Masonic center and it's on a really big major uh, road in my suburb where I live. And, I've probably driven past that a thousand times and never just never even thought about it. And they've got a big square and compasses and no, I had no exposure. So it was just like opening a new world, a parallel universe, you know, it was, it's been really awesome to sort of jump into that and, and see if I can sink or swim. And what a nice treat. What'd you find on the other side, huh? Yeah, well, exactly right. What, what did I find on the other side? That's the question. Found. Well, one of the things that uh, I neglected to mention is that uh, Brother Aquilina is a member of Brunswick, uh, Brunswick United Lodge Number Nine Twenty Four in Victoria, and recently we. Uh, at the Masonic Roundtable, we were talking about Victoria because a news article came across that uh, a lot of people were talking about uh, mm -hmm. here in, especially in the Winding Stairs Freemasonry group on Facebook, because not everybody is aware of how masonry is handled outside of their respective jurisdictions. So when anything different shows up, people lose their mind. Yeah, yeah they do. People get their aprons in a bunch, like I say. <laughs> And uh, the article was in reference to the, the new CEO of Freemasons Victoria, which it got the conversation started, not just because it was a CEO uh, of this or Masonic organization in Australia, but it was a female. So uh, I would like to, to know a little bit more because I know that you've had a, the, the privilege of, of meeting her and engage in good conversations with her. 
Uh, and can you let the, the listeners know a little bit more about how you, how that experience was and what they might not know about the CEO position in a Freemasonry organization? Yeah. And good question. And uh, there's a lot of aprons in their bunch. In fact, that thread that you had on your page inspired me to interview Jane. And I actually got some of the questions that were asked by some of your followers and listeners. And I put them to uh, Jane uh, herself and said, you know, what do you, how do you react to these things? But I'll give you listeners an idea of how the structure works. Um, it might be a bit different to your Grand Lodge. What we've done over here is uh, the United Grand Lodge of Victoria set up a trading entity called Freemasons Victoria. And Freemasons Victoria is a trading entity, manages all the property and the business side of Freemasonry. So, you know, your human resources, your membership services, all these sorts of things. Now, that trading company is headed by a CEO, uh, which most businesses tend to do in that, at that size. A 30, we're a $35 million organisation. Um, we're very, very well off in Victoria, and she's the CEO of that. So her job is to run the business and to run the uh, that side of Freemasonry. Uh, which I really don't, really don't call Freemasonry, to be honest with you. I, I call it running the business of Freemasonry. Whereas the United Grand Lodge of Victoria, which is the Masonic body, is still led by the Grand Master. Uh, he's got a deputy Grand Master that assists him in that and the usual positions that you'd expect in a grand team. Um, and then you've got overseeing that is the board, the Board of General Purposes, which is elected members of Freemasonry uh, who are elected to that board to oversee and govern the organisation. They appoint the CEO. The CEO is accountable to the board. The staff are accountable to the CEO who's accountable to the board. So it's a bit of a structural separation. We, I, I sort of you know, lament that we've got three heads in Victoria. We've got the CEO, the president of the board of general purposes and the grand master. Now they're not necessarily equal, but they serve equally important governing functions. And I guess uh, when people read the article about her being appointed, they misunderstood what it was that she was doing and what her role is. Uh, and yeah, this is new territory. Um, you know, I put some questions to her about how can you be the CEO of an organization you actually can't know anything about. Um, but she answered it really well, actually. I, I think that she's she's an inspirational lady. I've had a great relationship with her. And um, I have to say, it's, it's working well here in Victoria. We're getting the change we need at the pace we need it. And I don't know about what your view is, one, but I think people are watching Victoria very closely about some of the things we're doing. Based on my education, my formal education in, in business sciences, uh, I, play, I pay close attention to the way that the organization handles itself, different entities within Freemasonry, how they handle their public presence, how they handle their, their finances, their, their leadership. I pay close attention to that. And I draw inspiration when I see examples like Victoria, uh, especially because it, it looks well put together. Uh, you don't have to spend a fortune in having a functioning, uh, up-to-date website. And it, it seems to me that in many jurisdictions, uh, that it doesn't matter how much time goes by, that is not really achieved. And I love everything that I've seen from the branding to the communication, the public relations aspects. And there's a part of me that wants to believe that this is a result of that separation of powers. When you have people that are focused entirely on the business side of this organization, they can do a better job at handling their business. And when you have the, the, the board of um, the board of directors and you have your uh, your grand officers you have these three separations some focus on rituals some focus on finances and that separation i think is important 
if I do uh, understand what you say that you have three heads, uh, but I think it's a good problem to have uh, of sorts because there's that separation. It's, it, it almost sounds like our, our governmental uh, structure where you have the, the legislative and you have the executive and all those branches to get yeah, yeah. our government, but individually they handle different things. I was just going to say, um, I guess if anyone says anything against the three heads, you can always point to the fact that in our ritual, we talk about the three grand masters. So, um, you know, the chapter does that. They've got three heads. I think it works well, actually. That's right. We try to keep it in theme. This program is made possible in part by freemasonryart.com, an online store of products made by masons for masons. It features a growing selection of original Masonic paintings, limited edition artwork, and genuine lambskin Masonic aprons. Imagine yourself walking into your next lodge meeting wearing a hand-painted Masonic apron, like the ones we see displayed in museums. We invite you to look at our growing collection and support the winding stairs through your purchase. For details, go to freemasonryart.com. Keeping the topic along um, leadership, one thing that I've noticed from you, you're, you seem to be a, naturally, uh, a natural born leader. And this is something that it's a good trait to have, especially if you put it at the service of an organization that you love and respect. And among the things that I've seen you do in, in masonry, uh, one of them that some brothers may be familiar with is the, uh, the Blue Lounge Social Club. Now, I understand that this is an organization, uh, a group that began before you, uh, but I know that you have taken it to, to higher, higher places or you've pushed it further along the road. Uh, can you let us know a little bit more about what the Blue Lounge Social Club is and what things you've had good success in? Well, thank you for those kind words. Um, natural born leader, maybe, but uh, a, a pain in the ass, maybe that's probably more of a, <laughs> an accurate description. But they look, uh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for that kind word. But I mean, in terms of the Blue Lounge, uh, what a what a fantastic thing I inherited. Uh, uh, Knut Rutzenberg and Colin Kerwin, the, the guys who set it up, who are currently overseas at the moment, and um, <clears throat> they gave me this wonderful thing that was a, an idea of about recruiting, retaining, educating and supporting young Freemasons. And I said, why do we need this? And they said, well, look around you. And that was enough. Um, look in your lodge room and look around you. It's not to say that older people in Freemason are a problem or there's an issue. We love those brothers. We love all our brothers equally. It's, it's a matter of the fact that we want a bright future for Freemasonry. And if you have a situation as you do here in Victoria, where 50% of your membership is over the age of 67, in 10, 15 years, you're looking at a catastrophic decline in membership. So what do we need to do? We need to build from the bottom up we need to have a strong, vibrant, active grassroots of young people joining Freemasonry. We need to make our organisation relevant to them. We need to ad adjust the way we present our organisation in ways in which they understand. Talk to them on the platforms they're on. All these things. And, and the Blue Lounge is set up really to focus on the recruitment of intention of those young guys. And then we realise that education and support naturally flows into that. Because you're not going to recruit or retain them if you don't educate them. You're not going to have them staying in the craft or join the craft if they're not willing to be part of a supportive environment. So we've achieved that. 
Um, we've gone from five blokes meeting at the back of a Masonic Centre to now a statewide organisation, well, I guess international organisation now. We've got a chapter in, in Ontario, Canada. We've got New South Wales, which is another state of Australia, and Queensland. And, um, you know, we're going from strength to strength. And I'm really proud of the fact that I've been able to do my little bit to help secure the future of the craft. And there's so much more work we have to do. But, you know, at least, at least we've played a role, I think, in helping people realise there is a problem. As you know, one in Freemasonry, we're scared to admit the facts. We're very positive people. We're very, very, very positive, and we're scared to say, "Here's a problem. We need to fix it." We we brush it aside. We use that brotherly love, relief, and truth thing, and we and we say, "Oh, it's not an issue. Let's not focus on it." And uh, you know, what's what do they say in one of the investitures here in Victoria? Use that Masonic virtue, silence. And, and I think that's a bit of a problem. We need to speak up and point out the issues we have. So we've done that, and. Uh, We've made some friends and we've, we've, we've had some controversies uh, you know, in terms of the membership, but we've done some great things. So thank you for the, the kind words about that. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime you try to present some kind of change, even if it's with the greatest of intentions, you will find resistance. You'll find challenges. You'll find people that perhaps can't uh, align their vision with yours. Uh, could you share perhaps uh, what has been one of the biggest challenges that you have encountered in your initiative to, uh, to make masonry relevant to the youth? Yeah, so there's two challenges I think that are quite significant. I think the first challenge we had, uh, as because we're independent from Grand Lodge in the sense that you know when we don't go to, I don't call up the Grand Secretary and ask for permission to put out podcast episodes. Um, I don't ask for permission to visit first degrees. We are an initiative, so that was a challenge um, trying to justify our existence, uh, trying to you know make us make ourselves part of the institutional fabric of Freemasonry. It's been a real big task. So now in most districts in which we operate, when there's a first degree there's an expectation that we'll have someone there to present something to the candidate or have some young faces there to support that guy. Uh, go back two years ago and a first degree never had that element to it. It was just, you know, you do what you usually do. You have your presentation in the South and you do your toast and that's it. But So becoming part of the institutional fabric and being accepted as a relevant part of that journey was really, really difficult. And you face the usual change of we've never done it that way before or you young whippersnappers, um, you've joined the craft and you, you don't know anything about it. You've only been around for a couple of years and who, what, who are you to fix our problems? Um, dealing with that mentality. And then the other thing as well is we tried to tar- we've targeted to this to under 55s, which is a, in my view, a really broad class of, uh, of members. Um, but still we get that usual um, you know, initial reaction. You're excluding older people. Uh, you're dividing the craft. So we had to overcome some of those perceptions. We've cut through some of that, and now some of our biggest detractors are our biggest supporters. Um, in fact, they're, they're championing what we're doing. So that was the one side of the challenge. And just, just to give you the other idea of what the other challenge we face is, it's the reverse. It's once the grassroots are on board, you've got to deal with Grand Lodge. And uh, we've had a good relationship with Freemasons Victoria. We've got a good strategic partnership with them. They've brought us on board. But we've still had to have the difficulties of negotiating aspects of that and trying to get recognised as a legitimate you know, initiative and to try and be included in some of their programs. And sometimes we've been on par and other times we've, uh, we haven't been on the same page. So it's been a bit of an ongoing uh, set of difficulties, but it's a good experience. It's, it's, it's a sign of an organisation that's alive when it has challenges and difficulties. That's a good thing. We should celebrate those sorts of things. It shows that we're alive. It's like, you know, you're alive when you feel pain. It's, it's like that. 
Absolutely. Especially if you're a masochist. (laughs) (laughs) I want want, want to die. I want to die. (laughs) Here's the thing. And I wish that the brothers listening and watching uh, can take something from this. Uh, When you join Masonry, you expect certain things, things that you're rightful to expect, like education, like opportunities to develop yourself as a virtuous man. And there are some lodges that are working really, really, really hard to just cover the minimum, either because they don't have the uh, enough brothers, maybe they have different you know, financial trouble, things of that nature. But what I want brothers to take from this is that if you envision your Masonic journey in a certain way, don't settle for what's readily available there are alternatives for you to make your experience and the experience of those who come after you better. And it is not always welcomed. It's not always, uh, it doesn't always fit neatly as uh, the missing puzzle piece that people were waiting for. Sometimes you have to work harder and meet the resistance and and fight against that uh, insidious mentality of, this is how we've always done it. Um, and I'm not saying throw everything out and start, uh, start anew. I'm saying let's do the things we're supposed to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And think outside the box. Think big. Think uh, in ways of, of trying to make that experience better. Because the Masonic journey that you take as an individual is your own. And it is not fair to you and it's not fair to those who come after you if you just settle for what, for don't settle for mediocrity. As simple as that. Demand excellence from an organization that prides itself of being excellent and making good men better. So I hope that brothers get inspired by what you've achieved with the uh, with your respective initiatives in, in, in masonry. And and we, we have to not make excuses. Just because it's difficult, you shouldn't just turn around and, and shy away from it. Um, you know, uh, that, that's, I, I really hope that brothers take that uh, with them. The other question that I had was that if you have one thing that has perhaps improved in your personal life or something that has transformed in your personal professional life because of your membership in the fraternity and the lessons derived thereof, uh, therefrom, uh, what would you say that is? That's a very good question, actually. Um, I was invited recently to do a speech at a, at a really awesome event that they had in Bendigo. Um, we did a lodge meeting underground in a, in a mine shaft, 60 meters underground. And they said, why don't you get up and talk about that very topic that you asked me. I think there's been three things that have changed my life since joining Freemasonry. Um, the first, the first thing is um, the, you know, the black and white checkered pavement talks about dualities and on a very basic level, we're talking about, you know, good and bad, um, you know, male and female, you know, the real black and whites of the world, you know, as we tend to say in our common parlance, but that, that lesson's important. But what really has changed my life is the aspect of when you mix black and white together, you get grey. Yeah. And that is so much of life. I mean, think about there's so much in life we try to categorise into black and white, but there is no such thing in my view. I think that the dualities of life are really embedded in our ignorance, the fact that there is no dualities, that things are grey, you know, that there's so much we don't understand 
about ourselves, the people around us, our societies, our prejudices. And that's been a life-changing thing, uh, especially as someone who wants to be a lawyer. You realise that the law isn't black and white, society isn't black and white, and there's, there's so much grey. The other sort of lesson that I think has changed my life is, um, you know, just the basic, I guess you don't need Freemasonry for this, but Freemasonry brought it about me, is appreciation for the time that we have. The most important commodity in the universe, is, in my view, is time. And this idea of, uh, in the third degree, we say something in the lines of, you know, live your life while it is still day. You know, have, take the best of the opportunities you have. And we, 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 we live in a world where we're so busy on our phones and, you know, we're, we're encumbered by these self-perpetuating, you know, responsibilities that really aren't important. Mm. We lose track of who we are and the things that are important and the things, our communities and people around us and the time we have. And that lesson has changed my life. It's so, so important. We can never underestimate that. And that's why one, I say that Freemasonry is more relevant now than it has ever been because we face those challenges that those founding fathers of Freemasonry predicted that we'd need, that mankind would face. Mm. And um, those, I guess I won't go into too much detail, but if there's, there's a few lessons, but those two have been the most profound. So that's, that's perfect. And everybody takes a little bit, a little bit of something and applies them to their life. It, but a common thread that I find that masonry brings is that awareness of the finality and the limit of, of time. And if we squander it, if we don't give ourselves the opportunity to achieve the things that we're capable of achieving. And it's important that we continue progressing just like we progress in the degrees and, and continue adding new lessons and new complexities to our, to our ritualistic experience in life. We do the same. If we remain stagnant, then we go nowhere. Literally. We just remain as part of the, you know, of the average. I think it's important that we, we take ownership of our time and we employ it in, in a way that is fruitful, that doesn't end with you, but it goes beyond. That's so, right. I appreciate you sharing that with, uh, with the brothers. And I, I will go ahead and I'll share some links uh, for the brothers to, to visit the blue uh, blue lounge social club. And, uh, to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and to listen to to your podcast. Uh, again, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's needed. Brothers in today today's age, they need that inspiration. They need to, to listen to masonry, even if they don't get a chance to listen to it in their respective lodges. I, I do think that we, we will... Sp- uh, dig ourselves out of this nose dive that <laughs> that we're currently in, and the only the only chance we have of doing that is if we inspire one another to to be great in our respective roles in the craft and in society. So, thank you, brother, for your contributions in that effort. Well, thank you very much, Juan. And so long as Freemasonry has people like you to aspire to, we're going to have a strong and bright future. So I want to thank you. I want to thank your listeners. It's been an honor to be on the uh, the Winding Stairs. What a great Masonic, you know, it's, I say I say uh, an artifact, but it's a, it's a great landmark of Freemasonry. And I want to thank you very much for uh, allowing me to be on the show. It's been a great honor. The pleasure and honor has been mine. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, brother. Hey. 
Before you switch to the next podcast, let me ask you a question. Did you find this episode enjoyable? Did you find any part of it edifying or informative? If so, please consider supporting our show by choosing one of these options. Mainly by sharing it with other brothers through social media, on your lodge's website, or through your own blog. By leaving a brief rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Or simply by making a purchase through freemasonryart.com. Regardless of the way in which you choose to support the show, thank you. And as always, may your steps be firm and your path illuminated as we continue our journey up the winding stairs. Mm-hmm.